This is Ron Thurston, the best-selling author of Retail Pride, and I am live in Petaluma, California today with my friend Nick Weisler, the founder of an exciting new brand, Weissmade. Welcome to Retail in America. This podcast is part of the Retail in America Tour, my year-long journey to discover incredible retail heroes all across the country, celebrating our retail culture, community, and careers. Go to retailpride.com or on Instagram at retailpride to see it all, including past podcast episodes, playlists, and future cities on the tour. But before we get started, I want to thank the three important title sponsors for the Retail in America tour and this podcast. Spotify Advertising. Spotify has grown to over 420 million monthly unique registered users around the globe, over half of which are supported on the ad platform. Spotify advertising will help you reach and target your audience across devices, locations, and formats. Ubic. Over 300 companies in 80 countries trust Ubic to drive their retail performance at scale, get real-time visibility into multi-location business execution, digitized task management, and consistent digital mobile learning for their teams. And KWI. KWI is the industry's only true turnkey omni-channel platform for specialty retailers. With over 35 years of experience, let KWI help you execute flawlessly with the features that matter most, including endless aisle, clienteling, mobile checkout, inventory management, e-commerce, and more. The links to learn more about all three of these great brands will be in the show notes and at retailpride.com. So with that, let's get started. So Nick, welcome to Retail in America. Thanks for having me, Ron. It's great to be here. You're actually having me. So we're not live in the Airstream today, but we are live in person in your design studio for Weissmade here in beautiful Petaluma, California. So before we learn more about the launch of your new brand, Weissmade. I want to spend a couple of minutes and introduce you to anyone in the audience that may not know you. So you didn't start your career as the founder of this premium denim and knitwear brand, Weissmade. Before you were even considering launching this brand, you had a very successful retail career for over 20 years with some of the country's most exciting and innovative companies. It all started at Gap, like it did for me, where you ran the stockroom of a local store. And then when Nick graduated, he took on other leadership roles in retail with Lucky Brand and later became the district manager in Northern California for Restoration Hardware. And in 2009, he took on a DM role with Cole Hahn that ultimately became the head of retail, overseeing 90 stores as they decoupled from Nike. And then in 2014, Nick joined me at Bonobos as part of the team that built it from a very small group of stores as really just an idea to a large 42-store fleet. Most recently, he was the director of retail at Guideboat, where he spent time in the design room working with their Lux outdoor apparel line. And after two years of work, you will launch your own brand, Weissmade, this fall that is exclusively sources every piece dirt to denim in the USA. And Nick is now working directly with two mills to develop his own fabrics for the brand. Nick is a Northern California native 
and enjoys everything that the beauty of Northern California coast has to offer, including free diving, spear fishing, surfing, and volunteering for the local fire department. And he lives here in Petaluma with his wife and their two young sons, Sammy and Jacob. That was a long intro, but you've had a really extensive retail career that I think sets up the conversation for Weissmaid. So tell us just some, you know, aside from what I said, some highlights of your retail career, because I know that's your love. It's where it started. It's the part of the show that I think is so interesting for people to listen to is for so many people, retail is the core foundation that builds the future for other careers, which is what you're doing today. So tell us a little bit more, Nick. Thank you for the, uh, the buildup. I, um, <laughs> I, could you follow me around and set me up like that as I go back into the house later? That would be great. I'd love to. <laughs> Such a great question, Ron. I would break that up into two, two areas. I think to start this business, there's the, the, the functional skill set, whether it be the financial acumen, the understanding of product development, working with people, cross-disciplinary teams, there is absolutely no way I could have done this without my experience working in stores. And mm. I know you've heard me say this before, and I think probably some people listening have heard me say this before. And if you can run a successful retail store, you can do just about anything. You have to be a great marketer. You have to understand sales and sales building. You have to understand financial acumen, running payroll management. Um, you have to understand the the soft skill sets, merchandising. You really have a great, well-rounded toolkit of skills after running stores. So, so I think I had that foundation. And then the second side of it is, and, and this is the piece that I think I, I still miss to this day is is the people management. I think you were asking me proudest proudest stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at you know some of the people that I've worked with that. You know, maybe started working in a store for 10, 20 bucks an hour or whatever it is today. Mm-hmm. And now they, they own a home or they're running their own district. Seeing people grow and develop, there's nothing more rewarding than that. Yeah. Um, and very few platforms or industries give people that shot. Yeah. That you kind of come in as a blank slate, as it may yeah. be a young person, maybe not. And retail says, your hard work and your commitment to doing this well dictates your future and and surrounding yourself with great leaders like you. And you're right, to watch that happen with no particular setup from the past, just like, here you go, like, let me teach you some skills is fascinating to watch. It's what I love about this business. It's incredibly rewarding. Yeah, it really is. Who are a couple of people that from your past um, that really stand out to you? I know Dana Brown was just on the podcast when I was yeah. in Seattle. She worked for you. It it was so great hearing Dana and just you guys had a chance in that last podcast to go through her business acumen and you got Mm -hmm. specific about developing the market that she was working in 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 the outdoor space and hearing that strong, confident business leader on the other end was amazing. It was so cool to you know, and it, it what's amazing is I knew that, you knew that, you saw that in Dana, but to see her grow from where she was in the stores with us at Bonobos to running her own business like that and her degree of confidence and competence and feeling like 100% she's going to run the hell out of that business is, is an awesome feeling. It is. It's great to watch. It's great to sometimes just watch it from the sidelines 
as a, as a former colleague, just watch when that happens. It's hard. It's hard sometimes, though, because <laughs> you want to get in. Like, I think probably every coach, you know, that sees a player go to another team, maybe, yeah. you know, you want to get up on the sideline and, and just, hey, I noticed your arms a little bit off or, you know, you want to work with their stance. But um, one of the rewarding pieces of being so, I, I think, really a true people leader, and, you know, I learned a lot of that from you, Ron, is those relationships continue. You know, I, I still get calls from people that have worked with me in the past. And, you know, I had a, I had a great call with someone about uh, how to communicate payroll needs for a business to their regional. And it was so fun kind of coaching through that conversation. And yeah, so I mean, I never turned down a phone call from someone that I've worked with in the past. I love talking shop. I love coaching and mentoring. It's something that that is incredibly fulfilling. So it's like, you know, whether I'm getting paid or not, like I'm going to put my two cents in. Sometimes I may not want to hear it, but um, I, I'm I'm guilty of the same. And and in many ways, I'm proud of that. Yeah. And I'm proud that someone wants to call and say, hey, I have a problem. I need to talk this through. I'm I'm about to accept a job offer. Is this fair based on your experience? You know, there's, to your point earlier, that wealth of knowledge and that ability to provide insight to others I think is something all of us in retail careers can really use to support other people because yeah. it's really not about us at that point. You really want to share wisdom and share insight and advice and mentorship wherever you can. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to kind of wrap up the retail part because we want to hear about Weissmade. But when I hired you in 2014 to run the West Coast for Bonobos, we really didn't know what we were doing. And we may know what we were doing from a retail perspective, but this was a brand new retail concept that had not really been fully formed into this idea of building something that where you didn't take home the inventory, you didn't take home the sale, and you were able to build and open every single store on the West Coast. San Francisco, I think, was existing. That was already the, there. The, yeah. only, the one on Grant Avenue. But every other store on the West Coast, you hired, you opened, you worked on store design with me and Javi, who's here in the room. It takes a special person to take a new business model and then hire these people, many of whom I know are still with the company yeah. today. And you hired very them. Well. Yeah. They're doing very well. So just tell us that experience for you. It was a great experience. I think if you're passionate about this business and you have confidence in, in your instincts in yeah. the basics, right? Because regardless of business model, I think there's always a few common elements that it doesn't matter what tier in the marketplace you're at, what the specific concept is. And that is an amazing experience, a level of engagement. I think what retail really is at its core is human interaction. And I think it's how do you facilitate that human interaction, whether it's a productless concept or a full tailoring and fitting. I think that experience more or less is how do you facilitate that experience through the merchandising and through the people that you have in your showroom and making sure they're equipped and have the tools to do that well. So um, what was great about, I think, building that out with Bonobos is there weren't a lot of guide rails. And I think if you're in the industry long enough and you're passionate about what you're doing and you have a degree of creativity, you know what type of personality you need. You know how you want to set that floor. It's like, I think Bonobos for me was like, here's all the paint. Here's the canvas. There's no rules. Just make it beautiful. And that's incredibly rewarding when I think when you are really passionate about what you're doing and yeah. you have to have the vision to get the painting right. But yeah. um, And to sell that vision 
to people joining the company. Right. And you had right. to hire a lot of people. We were opening stores really fast. I think LinkedIn caught on fire several times when, <laughs> uh, when I was in town. But I think, you know, and you know this, Ron, because I, I've seen the same thing happen with you. And that is, if you have a reputation of building great relationships and great teams, there's this wave that happens. So you open a store to, you have some success with it. The mm. teams love the, the concept. They love the company. They love the team that you're building. Before I even, you know, got to the third or fourth or 10th store, I already had a, a, you know, a schedule of interviews that were, you know, internal recommendations, external recommendations. And, and I think, you know, in this business, when you're really doing it right and you focus on your people um, you have a good, strong leadership uh, point of view and a great concept to work with. Once you get through that, those first four or five stores and have some success with it, it generally, it, it's almost like a snowball. It becomes much easier, at least from a talent acquisition perspective, to, to, to bring in top talent. Yeah. So let's jump into what you're doing today. Oh, uh, so <laughs> because you and I could talk about retail all day, but we, I want to make sure we would sure. be here probably till midnight. <laughs> we would. Javier would definitely need another <laughs> cup of coffee. So here you are, 20 years into this incredible retail career and this reputation that you have, and you've made the decision to launch your own brand, yeah. apparel brand, and so. Give us a high level description of what it is, and then I want to hear the story about why it started. Yeah, it really began as a passion project that probably started 20 years ago when I was working in, you know, denim shops that, you know, could be a record store or a surf shop. Maybe they sold jeans in San Francisco as a, as a young guy in school. And as the years went on, I worked for different concepts, including Bonobos. The idea of what that business model was evolved in my mind, but the product was always fairly consistent. Mm -hmm. And um, being a San Francisco native, I was always passionate about classic American made jeans. And that's something I couldn't, had a very tough time finding. You could find product that was cut and sewn here, but finding a farm milled and sewn pure American pair of blue jeans is, is actually quite hard. There, there's some out there. So the motivation behind that initially was, or what started that process was sustainability. Like if I can do this my way and there's no you know, no rules. You know, I, I wanted to start with sustainability. So we looked at, um, actually pulled fabric from, I think, 15 or 20 different mills globally. So we looked at fabric from Italy, Japan, China, Vietnam, a little bit of fabric from here in the U.S. And what we were really looking for is how do you make a really high quality classic pair of jeans in a more sustainable way. And I'd read a lot about different fibers and, and different yarns uh, from recycled plastic, polyester base to hemp. And we, we developed uh, some hemp denim, we developed some blended stuff. But as I kind of dug down and continued to peel back and figure out what was the most sustainable way to, to approach this, it was local, naturally sourced fiber. So, so we wanted to pull the polyester out and focus on on cotton and if you're going to do cotton and do it right you want to use really high quality cotton and the good news is uh some of the best cotton in the world is grown you know here in the u.s so so then the process began okay i as a someone that's worked in fashion and in and, and retail my entire career i knew, knew exactly what and that's the hard part is i knew exactly what i wanted that fabric to be and uh, of course it didn't exist so we um were very lucky to um build a relationship with a couple mills here in the U.S., both on our knitwear line and on our denim line. 
And uh, we spent about a year and a half building out a fabric, you know, to the spec that we thought we wanted, generally around a 14 ounce. And the color wasn't quite right, or it stretched a little too much or not enough. or So that, that process of refinement took a lot longer than I'd anticipated. Um, but we're really proud with the quality of the fabric that we landed on and that we, um, we know exactly where the fiber came from. We know where the rivets came from. Um, the pocket bag fabric, the twill that's in inside of the pocket bags is all farm milled and sewn here in the U S and, um, keeps a really short supply chain and allows us also to be really neurotic about, about quality. And, uh, and that's really important to me as well. Did you have a particular passion for doing this in the U S is it your California roots? Like, where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't think I could do it, frankly. When I first started, we, we looked at a lot of imported fabrics. I wasn't too familiar with what was available here in the U.S. I know a lot of the textile industry was gone. So I I started with, yes, I mean, as a, you know, vintage Levi's, you know, made in San Francisco <laughs> from pulling those out of, the, out of the closet and finding some of my favorite vintage pieces. If I thought that was even a possibility, that would have been my first choice. Um, But really that came around as it became clear to me that the more sustainable option would have been to source it domestically, but more importantly, that there are still a couple mills. And I was just lucky enough that they were willing to work with me on development. So that happened organically and better than I could have planned, frankly. Wow. And tell us more about the line. So it's men's, women's. Yeah denim, knits, you've kind of touched on many different product categories. Yeah, I, I really was thinking, okay, up here in Northern California, how do I build the, you know, the NorCal layers, you know, that I grew up with? Mm-hmm. And, and then my wife said, well, you better be doing that for women as well. And so I thought, okay, if I could just wear one thing every day for the rest of my life, what would it be? And it would be a great pair of jeans, mm-hmm. really great cotton t-shirt, maybe a Henley if, if I had to dress it up a bit pullover sweatshirt layered on top of that and a, and a canvas jacket. So our entire line was literally built around that idea. And then we spent, uh, in tandem with fabric development, we started developing patterns for the fits, both, uh, men's and women's. Okay. And factory wise all here. Yes, so, which is everything. also, you know, as I have traveled and learned more, you know, kind of that, that U S factory worker, kind of decline in the apparel industry is very significant. And so how did you go about finding and sourcing people who could produce your product? Yeah, it's interesting. Javier and I were talking earlier about the Zoom during COVID. And that was one of the benefits where I think, you know, without getting on a plane, I could send a few emails, build a relationship, and we could hop on a meeting and they could see Mm -hmm. the vision and it took me pitching the vision several times before anyone was willing to talk to me, <laughs> to be honest. But it did make that process much more efficient. So as that's going on and we're developing our, our core fabric, one of my uh, denim head, uh, salvage denim head bros had uh, reached out and said, do you know about Vidalia Mills? They uh, bought and restored all of the um, salvage machines from Cone Mills before they closed it down. I didn't know that at the mm. time. And it turns out we had a friend in common who was over there at Vidalia developing um, first and only salvage denim made here in the U.S. since the Cone Mills uh, closure, which, I mean, I came running in the house. Right. You know, Heather, babe, we can get salvage <laughs> denim here in the U.S. It'll fit the concept. So, you know, I, I reached out to them immediately, and I was getting the sales pitch on their sustainable cotton. A lot of their cotton has grown literally a, a mile away from the mill where it's woven. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
I mean, it was it just uh, the timing couldn't, I, I really got lucky, but they didn't have to sell me anything. I was like sending specs and, you know, excited about what they were doing and ready to, ready to start cutting samples, which we did pretty quickly. Wow. And um, I'm wearing them today actually. Yeah. So, and it looks great. It's Thank great. you. Yeah. Really good. And you have a unique story and unique point of view about the product you're doing, why you're doing it, you know, who it's for. And I think that that's part of the storytelling of any brand. There's yeah. there's a name and there's a face behind it, which yeah. was so important to me to make sure that Weissmaid is is your name. Like your name is attached to it. Your family is here. We're in your home. Like there's a yeah. lot of sentimental value that goes into building something from the ground up. And it's taken you two years to do it. Yeah, I wouldn't do it any other way. I think um, you know when when we were talking about names, I, I really thought it was important to put my name on it and. If I was going to do this, it wasn't a gap in the marketplace that I thought I could capitalize on. It was, this is something that I want to do better than anyone else. And I want to work really hard at making sure that my customers are getting a great product. And if I can't put my name on it, then I know it sounds kind of old fashioned, but um, I'm neurotic as it is. So, you know, I think, I think anyone that knows me knows that the product's probably going to be overkill, but um, it's important to me and I'm excited to get it out there. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the space we're sitting in. Yeah, it's funny. My wife and I got married. We pretty tight budget. So we found the only house that was like literally not really standing upright <laughs> and we could afford it. So we've been working on it for many years now. But um, in the very back of the property uh, out here in West Sonoma County, it's either wine or dairy was most of the, the mm-hmm. land use out here. And this particular building was a built in 1908, I believe. And all of the lumber is uh, Doug Fern Redwood. This building was a large chicken coop, chicken barn. And when we got here, the lumber on the walls here was actually tongue and groove redwood that was laid on dirt. There was no foundation. It was just like a floor literally like dug out and Mm. on the dirt. And we restored the building. All of the walls are the original tongue and groove that was on the dirt, still in perfect condition, a little bit of character. Wow. The open ceiling, I left that open so you can see all the original Doug Fern Redwood. It gets this like warm kind of ready hue yeah. the wood as it ages. It's beautiful. So, you know, as, as someone that when you're running stores, it's like Monday is your office day and then you're you know off to the airport Monday night or Tuesday and, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, starting the week here or, or finishing the week here kind of brought me back to center and, yeah. and it was worth, worth all the work to kind of restore it. It's a great, great space. Yeah, but when you think about denim as the hero product of your line, there's so much rich history at Levi and you know how the gold rush really inspired yeah. in the, the manufacturing of denim and, and what denim jeans became here in Northern California, yeah. in, in, here in this 100-plus-year-old room. So I, I love the correlation. If you hadn't thought about it, I'm certainly brainstorming from a marketing point of view, but I think it's great. It does bring a lot of inspiration. I, early on when we were doing all of the leather patches for the jeans, there's, it's all upcycled uh, scrap leather from the belts. Looking at the wall now, and I've got you know 30 or 40 pairs of, of samples on the wall. Um, there's some stage of torture test. And I'm looking at all the leather patches, and it's interesting. They're, they're up against the upcycled and recycled uh, wall that, that was originally the, the floor of, mm. the, of the building. It's great. Can we speak a little bit about Retail Pride? Because I yeah, always love to talk about this and and how that played into your journey, you know, as kind of take us back to when you first made this decision to stay in retail. 
and may have been accidental. I don't remember what you studied specifically at Sonoma State. Environmental science. Environmental science. So not really retail related. No. (laughs) Um, So tell us, you know, where that decision came and how it began. Where did that pride come from? Yeah, it's funny. It was a, it was absolutely the an accidental career for me. I was getting ready to graduate, and they offered me a store, my first store manager job, and I really wanted a Ducati. For which brand? This was with Lucky Brand Lucky. Jeans. This is way back in the day. <laughs> and uh, I, there's this Italian motorcycle that I really wanted, and I knew if I took the job, I could probably buy the bike right away. So, so I uh, I took the store manager job, and I, I loved it. You know, I knew what I was getting into. I'd been working in stores, at, at, you know, in sales roles and stock roles. And I was an assistant manager, I think, at the time. But I was a pretty self-aware young fellow. And I, I knew I was a generalist at heart. Hmm. I knew I couldn't sit in an office. And everyone around me knew that as well. So my short-term goal was I wanted to prove that I could run the hell out of the store. It happened to be a struggling store. And, and I thought it could do better. I think it was probably... A year or two later, when I started uh, traveling as the kind of fix-it store manager before I came an area manager, just fixing stores or markets that were struggling, that um, I realized that this could be a career and, and that I was really enjoying the work. And it was this ability, this mixed skill set, right? So there's an analytical side to the business, understanding the financial piece of the business, managing payroll, things like that sales figures, understanding how to impact your business and drive it. And then there's the, the the other side of the brain, which is a lot less defined, right? So merchandising, the art of uh, sales and, and building relationships with people. And then kind of say at the top of that skill set was leadership, which I was, you know, just learning. I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. And I love seeing people succeed. You know, taking someone that might have been struggling in a particular skill set and teaching them how to do it or working with them or just rooting them on and seeing them find success in whatever it is that they were doing. Uh, very early on, that's what got me going. And uh, and I became addicted to it. And I was just, I, that was it. I, I don't think I looked back after that. It's funny that you say that because the the kind of addiction to coaching and watching others succeed, I think is very rooted in retail. Because you have the ability to do it every day. You're on the floor together. You're trying new things. You're meeting strangers. Like the balls are coming at you really quickly. And if you can coach someone, part of like the the focus, part of the pillars, and then they, their light bulb goes off about this. You just want to do more because you watch how powerful that can that can become just kind of this. As you were talking, this was rolling around my head. But I was trying to think of other industries where you might have as much of a diverse leadership challenges you would if you're, let's say, a, a district manager or regional manager with a large market, where you're working with completely different teams, completely different merchandising and market dynamics in every market that you may fly into in a particular week. And, you know, I think that that challenge is also, it keeps you going because you could be running stores for 10, 20 years and still walk into a store and like, this is a puzzle I haven't seen before. How mm-hmm. am I going to put the pieces together here? Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's fun. It, it really is fun. Where do you see Weissmade ending up in the retail landscape? That's funny. I, we were talking about, you know, my retail career and, and then starting this business. And I keep thinking in the back of my head, well, this is a retail business. So, you know, my goal and what, where my passion is, is initially we will be a direct to consumer and we're, we're doing some pretty cool things on the site to make sure that 
a lot of the things I love about human interaction is representative on the site and it's very engaging and you have a great experience that that's human. Maybe literally talking to me while you're shopping, um, (laughs) through maybe our friends at immerse. Yeah. That's (laughs) a phenomenal tool. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You got it. That'll be the first stage, but the vision always started with that cool denim shop in San Francisco. So my goal is to get the product to a point and to get our sales to a point where um, where it justifies opening some shops, of yeah, course. That'll be great to watch. That's we'll a dream. Share that journey along the way for sure. When you think about the pillars of of retail pride between empathy and curiosity and focus, having worked with you, I can guess where you maybe lean in or where you would prioritize. But between those three, what are your strengths and what are you working on? You know, I would say empathy is definitely one of my strengths. Mm-hmm. Focus is something that, especially in this new role, has become really important. I think working in retail, it sometimes allowed me to to bounce from whatever didn't sound all that interesting that day, right? <laughs> so if focus wasn't my thing, then maybe payroll can wait and I'll get on the sales floor. I always floor. find something <laughs> yeah. else to do. <laughs> There's always something else that's, that's on fire and needs attention, right? So, uh, But right now, focus, especially when you're on a timeline trying to launch, we were working on, on the site and I had this beautiful functionality with some drop downs for size charts so you could figure out, you know, what mm-hmm. how our sizing runs. And we did all the work on the back end to have these great size charts. And there's a thousand different variables by size and fit to fill in. So we had done all of this, had it ready to go in and um the drop downs weren't working correctly. And so I had to focus, you know, for four days straight to figure out how to get this done and figure out how to move everything else aside because if that didn't happen the site's not going to get finished, you know? So it was like, how do I kind of rearrange my schedule to make sure production is still being managed correctly and that our creative team is still, we're still making progress on photography and Mm -hmm. and all of that. So right now in this moment, focus is, is incredibly important. It's funny. I'll find myself calling or reaching out to people that I've worked with in stores before, including you. (laughs) So I'm like, I, you know, I can't, I can't look at this site anymore, Ron. Let's talk about, you know, let's talk. Yep. But um, I've had to kind of, you know, really, really get focused. And we got it done and we're back on track and moving forward. I think there's no question right now focus is, yeah. is, is pretty but important. I, I appreciate the fluidity of understanding how that needs to evolve over time. So from right. store manager to multi-store, head of stores, and now an entrepreneur, the, the pillars are all still valid, Absolutely. but how you function within them or how you lean into one versus the other have changed. And they may be different next week. Absolutely. But it's interesting. They haven't changed that much. And it, it's funny. There, I don't know that there's, there may be some tasks, uh, like some of the B2B focused stuff, working with a mill and negotiating pricing or timing or, or production schedules. That's a little bit new to me, but it really, if I think about it, that skill set wasn't much different than running a market and advocating with the buying team on getting a bigger distribution of a particular product that I knew would sell well in my market. Mm. So I, I don't know that there's one particular piece of this project that I'm working on, including spending a little time in the design room and with previous companies. There isn't a skill that I've learned running stores that has not come in incredibly that I, that I'm not exercising right now and and running this business. In fact, I, I don't think I, there is no way I could do this without the skill set I learned running stores. Um, yeah, because the, the volatility of every day 
It's something yeah. you're used to. Yeah, you know, yeah, I've talked to some <laughs> to some experienced production managers, and they, they they're like, "You're you know, blank nuts." And um, it's interesting, and I, and I think about you know the the very the amount of projects you're managing if you're running a large market in retail, and this isn't that bad. <laughs> Starting a business and it, like this is incredibly scary, and and it's requiring a lot of my time and attention. But um, in terms of varying skill sets and intensity and time, this is no different than taking bonobos from six stores to 46 stores. So from that end, you know, I'm really grateful for the skill set and don't think I could have done this without the skill set that I picked up in stores. Thinking about the future of our industry and how people are joining retail as young people like you and I did, do you have any kind of words of wisdom for people joining retail today? Oh, this could go for a while. <laughs> um, I think you get out of it what you put into it. I would mm-hmm. say if this is something that you love, engage. You know, there's always going to be a leader or a manager, whether it's in in stores or a particular business unit that you're working with that will help you learn that particular skill set. So take advantage. I think this is one of the very few industries where you'll have access to so many different disciplines and working in a retail store. And there's not a single thing that you will do working in a retail store that is not a transferable or use, useful skill in something else as well. So I would say take it seriously and learn as much as you can and have fun with it. I think at the end of the day, especially after the last couple of years, we had as a society taken for granted human engagement and things like going to a restaurant or going to your favorite store, engaging with the team there, meeting friends out and about. And I think it's become clear to all of us how, how important that is for all of us. And um, we facilitate a really important part of that, that social experience. So, you know, I would say enjoy it, make it your own and, and learn from the really good ones that are around you. Mm-hmm. And if there aren't good ones around you, this is my challenge. Else. Go somewhere else because there are incredibly talented people all over. Don't target yourself into one particular product category, one particular same. You've sold home furnishings, you've sold apparel, you've sold you know, many different things as I have. And sometimes moving around just makes you that much better of a leader because you find other people who are extraordinary at what they do. Absolutely. And it changes your life. It really does. I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, how does how does restoration hardware fit in with a denim brand, right? And, yeah. you know, I was looking at store layout and merchandising. I think a lot of the pad skill sets and how to put together a space came from working with restoration hardware. I That skill set is absolutely transferable. Like, I would feel confident walking into a store selling popsicles and just give me a bench and I will make it look awesome. Right. And those skill sets came from the home space. So... You know, I think if you're passionate about what you're doing, if you're surrounded with good people and a good team, if you're early in your career, you'll get a lot out of it. And and I would just say engage and and throw yourself at it. Love that. Where can people find you and Wisemade? Oh, thank you. I am. We're at Wisemade, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and then the websites. And can you spell that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) W-I-E-S-M-A-D-E.com. (laughs) this was such a pleasure thank you for inviting us to your home and to your studio here and you know i'm honored and excited to just watch this journey of you because there there are not a lot of um, former retail executives like yourself that have taken this journey into entrepreneurship 
So I'm, I'm really excited to watch it happen. Oh, thank you so much, Ron. And I, um, I feel like I've got a great team around me with you guys. And uh, it's just, it's been so much fun to have you out here. And I hope you, I hope to see you on, on your next trip down. You will, for sure. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Nick, for being on the show today and inviting us into your home. And thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to my producer, Roy Pettitz, and to Dean Albach, the audio engineer for Retail in America. Subscribe at RetailPride.com or follow me on Instagram at RetailPride to see all the details about the Retail in America tour. And with that, keep your Retail Pride strong, and I will see you on the road.